So welcome back to Captivation Radio. This week, I have a special guest, Brandy. She's on here to talk about her novel and self-publishing and all things writing. So would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about a little bit about your book? Thank you so much, Fallon. I appreciate having the time to talk with you and all of the other queens listening today. Um... My book that I'm working on right now is the second one that I've actually written. And I would say that I'm probably more proud of it than the first, just because the first book I felt like I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it and I wanted to get it out there. So I actually plan to go back in and retool it, kind of rewrite it. But this book is much like the first one is set in uh, Regency slash Victorian England, so kind of in the 1840s to 1860s time frame. It's kind of in between the two worlds, and it's a historical romance, or for those who don't know what that means, it's pretty much book porn for women, Um, (laughs) and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm trying to do something a little different with the genre, trying to inject more mystery and suspense and actually have a, an actual plot behind just the, you know, crazy sexual tension that's between the two main characters. Um, I've read historical fiction since I was probably 12 or 13, and they all kind of follow the same tropes. And I know that, you know, readers do come for that, but I do think, like most things in the world right now, we're all asking for more. We don't really want what was the status quo. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we all definitely are looking for more out of everything right now. So when did you first begin writing? Like, Have you been a writer your whole life? I have off and on um, my I, I always was creative, but I also was raised by uh, blue collar parents. Uh, my dad just graduated high school. My mom went to beautician school, but not any actual you know, college degrees or anything of that nature. And I think like most millennials or people that are that kind of generation time frame and even the group prior to mine, which I always forget what they're called, um, but the people who were born in the 70s, I feel like both the kids from like the 70s and the 80s and early 90s were pushed heavily into just going into education that was higher. So, you know, trades didn't matter. You know, you, you weren't going to get anywhere in life if you didn't get a degree. And even though I was extremely artistic, I was really good at naturally drawing, naturally painting. Um, I wrote a lot of things, but my mom also had this kind of pipe dream of being a writer. 
And now that I look back at it, I'm kind of like, well, that was kind of hypocritical, but she wanted to be a writer and she took all these classes to be a writer. And she would tell me, you know, that she loved my art. She loved my drawing and, you know, never to give it up, keep doing it. Cause if you don't keep pursuing your, your craft, whatever thing you decide, if you don't keep pursuing it, you will lose it. And she would say that, but then if I mentioned like, well, maybe I should try to be a graphic designer or maybe I should, you know, be something in that creative industry. It was like, well, you know, that's fine. It's fine as a hobby, but you know, it's not really so much a job. So mm-hmm. pretty much exactly that. I didn't really consider that anything in that line of stuff would actually be something that would be appropriate. And here I am <laughs> in my almost forties, <laughs> um, kind of just deciding to reopen it. Probably the first job that I got right out of college. And I thought I would be there the rest of my life. I dedicated all my time, all my energy, all my weekends, you name it, into being in the company. And I rose in the company really quickly, um, 21 years old with you know the corner office kind of thing, uh, quite literally. My view was of the uh, parking lot, but still it was, you know, corner office <laughs> and um, they particular company. And it was the time that people were doing that anyways. It was in the um, late aughts. So 2008, 2010-ish kind of time when people were still kind of trying to level out after the Great Recession. And they found a way to make cuts to hire people overseas and, you know, get rid of the staff that would be that stateside. And unfortunately I was one of those cuts and I, I was dedicated to that job. I, I was the president of the employee functions committee. So the committee that, you know, ran everything that was ancillary that the company wanted to do. So company picnics, company retreats, company holiday parties, company uh, outreach work, anything that, you know, was on top of actually just doing my job. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that was the catalyst of me really starting to stop and think like, what am I doing with my life? Because at the end of the day, you don't matter to a company. You don't matter to corporations. You are just a number that can make them more money. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that was the beginning of the journey. (laughs) And then, um, you know, I still work. I still did things. I I eventually became a a real estate uh, agent. I loved what I did, but um, I had some health problems, health problems that I also had when I was younger as well, that were unrelated, but maybe not. Um, But I ended up being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and um, it it rocked my world. I had pretty much been unshakable. Um, I don't want to say unstoppable, but in an, in, an, in an essence, most of my life. But um, that diagnosis really hit me and it hit me hard. And I compare it to like a near-death experience, not because I was in a, you know, a fatal car accident or something and saw the lights or, you know, whatever you want to say, but 
initially when you say, you know, to someone that you have multiple sclerosis, they either don't know at all what you're talking about, or they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like your world is never going to be the same again. It's literally like right. people either think it's going to be a death sentence or they don't know what it is. And I was in that camp of it's a death sentence. And so I definitely think I went through that whole grieving process. Um, and with that kind of just amplified that feeling that I had since I was in my early twenties and went through that with, you know, that initial employer that nothing is promised, nothing is given. And mm -hmm. there's no reason for us to be on this earth and not enjoy what makes us happy and what makes us passionate. And some of the happiest, calmest moments I've had in my life have been when I've been creating, whether that's working on a book or working on a picture or a painting or doing a DIY project, doing something with my hands, like just mm -hmm. literally anything that's in that creative environment and in that creative scene. And I just decided one day, like, I'm going to write a book. I've written books when I was younger that I, obviously I never published, but I wrote them just because it was there and I needed to get it out of my brain. And then I was just like, well, I'm going to do it. So I did it. And here we are. And okay, so your first book that you published was Emerald for a Duke, and you self-published. What was that journey like for you? And why is there a specific reason you chose that path? Or It's a great question. So everybody always says, do your research. And I did a lot of research. And I still don't think I did enough research. I don't think that a person can do enough research until what they want to be the ultimate goal happens. And then mm -hmm. it's kind of just looking back on your path of, oh, well, that's my story of how I got here. Uh, yeah. But I, I initially published with uh, KDP, which is Amazon's publishing arm. Uh, mm -hmm. ironically, that first job I was talking about straight out of college was a self-publisher and I, I did not work with a company that was a self-publisher, if that kind of gives you any indication of things, <laughs> but, um, I used KDP and I utilized Fiverr a lot to kind of give work to other artists that were trying to do what I was wanting to do, you know, mm -hmm. make a living out of art. And I feel strongly, just as many people do who own small businesses to, you know, shop local or, you know, give your business to other people who are business persons. I believe that as well when it comes to the creative arts. If you are a creative person, then, you know, you need to give back to the creative community. So I was trying yeah. to do exactly that. And I hired an editor. I paid quite a bit for the editing editing services that was off of Fiverr. Uh, like I said, I did the cover design that was off of Fiverr, a different person as well. I paid somebody on Fiverr to write my kind of author bio that goes quickly in the book, as well as the blurb of the book. Because mm -hmm. at this point, I was so stuck in the book and in the mentality of what was going on in the book when it came to even thinking about how to explain who I was or what I was. Um, 
or what the book was about. I just was drawing a blank, which is ridiculous because you write this entire book and you just. <laughs> it's not, it's not ridiculous though. When I, when I try to sit down and like write my bio for anything, I'm like, I do things. I do a lot of things. I, I don't know like what to say. I, I always ask other people. Now I use AI, like chat GPT, tell me what it is that I do. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Because I mean, really I, so talk about it yourself. It is. And I think that was your first question. I don't think I even um, completely answered that. So hi, I'm Brandy. Um, I'm a twin <laughs> mom, have multiple sclerosis, um, worked in publishing, worked in real estate, worked in insurance, you name it, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, and, and when you're creating a creative persona too, you don't really want that out there. At least I don't. For me, it's this is my avenue. This is that identity for me and for that thing that I'm doing. And mm -hmm. that that to me is not accumulation of my life to this point. My resume is my, you know, AA quick points are my life. But my writing is something different. It's it's a beast that's in and itself. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, KDP is a good way to get your feet wet. I don't regret publishing with them. Um, I did not pay for any marketing. I did not pay for um, really anything extensively of that nature. Well, I take it back. I did pay for someone to give me keywords to um, put in. But I think it was kind of the perfect storm because right as I was about ready to publish with KDP, they were going in and reorganizing how they let you use keywords and categories because a lot of people were playing the system and getting, you know, Amazon bestsellers when they literally just sold two books, but they sold two right. books because they found a category that literally people look up, you know, four or five times a month, but there's only one book in that category. So well, I one of those categories. <laughs> I, I know. I, I tried to find that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I and I looked at that. I looked at, at that kind of um, thing. I looked at people that promised, you know, I've done it for myself. I've done that for countless other writers. You know, if you pay me, I'll guarantee that you get it too. And I just didn't want that. I, that's yeah. not my goal at the end of the day. I want to get my art out there. I want people to enjoy it if they're going to enjoy it. Um, mm -hmm. If they're going to eviscerate it and they hate it and they hate it, that's fine. Somebody did on Goodreads. Right. Um, <laughs> but I don't think know. she actually read your book. That girl on Goodreads. I don't think she actually read your book. <laughs> And I think all of her reviews on every book she read were negative. She did not like books. I don't know why she's on Goodreads, <laughs> leafy reviews. She clearly I, hates reading. I do not disagree with that. I read her reviews <laughs> on everything. I was like, wow, do you like anything? Do you like yourself even? Like, I just feel like that. That was the vibe I got. She's like, I don't yeah. like books. I don't like myself. I don't like the blue sky. I don't like the sunshine. <laughs> right. I just, I just don't like anything. Um, no. But yeah, I mean, I published it you know, everybody publishes through it now. So my probably biggest recommendation for somebody who's wanting to go that route would be, you know, like I said, do a good cover, do 
some type of editing, whether it's through an AI service or through someone on Fiverr. And there are people who you can pay on Fiverr to go through and, you know, AI critique your work, because that is a lot of work too, with Mm -hmm. the chat GPTs and stuff. A lot of the programs are limited to how many characters you can do at a time. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, they can call me. I'm available for editing services too. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. 100%. Because you're going to edit my next one, right? My current one. Um, Sure. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's just editing is important because if you're, if you, you can have an amazing story, but if Mm -hmm. you can't actually describe it correctly and get the point across to the reader and they're spending too much time just trying to, sift through what you're trying to say then yeah. you know that's and I think a lot of good books get lost especially in the self-publishing world get lost because yeah. of that um but yeah, yeah I mean especially if people are like picky about grammar and things me personally I can't read a book if the grammar is bad it doesn't matter like I'll try if the message is good but if the grammar is bad and like punctuation and the sentence structure is off it makes it really difficult I can't stay focused because I'm literally like in the book writing correction (laughs) right and I think that's yeah that's a really good point about self-publishing is you have to have other people look at it you can't just be like I made this book here is this book world have this book and nobody else has ever looked at it because you know what you wanted to say and that's what you're gonna read because you wrote it so yeah. you're not even going to notice, like you could have the whole wrong word in there, but your brain is still going to tell you the right word because you wrote it and you've read it 900 times. Yeah. And that's the perfect point too. Even when, even when you've read all of it and you've written all of it and you went through 5,000 edits and then you've walked away for a month because you want to try to clear your head of it and just don't want to do anything that think that makes you think of it or even exists mm-hmm. in existence to it you still come back and you pick it right back up. Cause just like you said, we don't read the words that we're writing. It's kind of like those tests too, where they where literally they'll show you paragraphs of words where the, the entire, every single word only has like one letter letter correct in the sentence structure. But mm-hmm. your brain is so used to putting those puzzles and things together that yeah. you can almost read it without a hiccup, even though every single word really has nothing to do with the word that it actually is. Your brain still knows what it is. And it's that same yeah. kind of idea with, you know, writing your own work. You've read it so many times and you've gone over it so many times that you just, you say, you see what you know you want to say and not actually what you expect you were saying. Um, And then another thing that was good for that critique for me was doing a beta group. I think that that's a big deal too. Um, My beta group was filled with people who know me and um, there are always people who, um, you know, I think don't want to say negative things, especially if they know someone. Um, Mm -hmm. So, all the critiques were, you know, oh, there's no critiques. It's great. It's wonderful. And then the one person who did give me a an amazing critique and actually honestly is probably 
the critiques that I write now myself when I go back and read the book. Um, by the time I got her critiques, I was already in the point where I was about ready to push, submit, and go live on Amazon. So yeah. um, definitely don't rush the process. I know that you want to, and I 100% did. Like I said, I was coming off of the MS diagnosis, and I had noticed some things in myself and in my ability to recall and retain things that I was attributing to MS and it hurting my brain. Yeah. Not the fact that I'm f pushing 40 and I'm getting older and that's just what happens when <laughs> you have an older brain, but you know, it could be the combination of the two, but I was definitely in a spiral and I pushed it out quickly and I pushed it out quickly in the sense that too, I think I had an idea of what I wanted the other books to be, but there was nothing that was concrete. And as I was writing uh, this book, which is the prize fighter, the prize fighters diamond. Um, it has almost no connection to that book. It's like most Regency books where you, you learn the characters in prior books. Like you get introduced to them piece by piece, but you don't mm -hmm. hear their story. You don't dive into their story until they get their own book. And okay. part of that suspense element that I was trying to add to this was like with a Harry Potter or, you know, a world of time or any of those book series where you have to know what happened in the prior book to be able to read book two or book three, or you're just completely lost. That's mm -hmm. kind of what the idea was initially was that the first book was going to be focused on the two main characters, the male female romance, but then there was this um, nefarious person who was going to go through the rest of the books. And at the final end would be kind of the quote unquote boss fight. And I just, when I started writing this second book, that's not what was coming. And I just, I was like, okay, well, I already knew I needed to do a rewrite. So that's going to be the major rewrite. I'm going to go in and any of those things that I kind of left open and that people had issues with that I left open-ended and didn't resolve. Well, I didn't resolve them because I plan to resolve them in next, you know, layers, next books. But right. um, that's, that's not so much it now. And there was one person who um, I bought her course on Udemy. Udemy. Um, Bethany Atazara, I believe, Atazara. Um, I remember her one book is called The Stolen Kingdom. She laid out everything beautifully. Um, I am really bad at just doing the Cliff Notes version of anything. Uh, in school, <laughs> I tried to find the quickest and easiest way to cram information in. And I did her course <laughs> in pretty much that matter. So there are things I'm sure that she mentioned that I didn't even apply the way that I should, but she did a really good job of describing the different types of publishers and self-publishing versus trying to go after a traditional. And even what was important to traditional publishers, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's different now, but there still is that gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. And I, I at least personally, personally feel like with the, invention of self-publishing and 
the breadth of the internet, um, I honestly feel like a lot of the people that we're seeing now that are bestsellers and are people that are the go-tos or whatnot, they started in self-publishing. They started yeah. in something that wasn't actually um, going to an agent, but then yeah. they built up a following and they built up a presence. And then mm -hmm. that went into getting agented and having a contract and et cetera. So that's kind of where I am with the second book. I initially, when I wrote the first one, I, I had always been interested in the Harlequin brand because they were the first brand <laughs> that I read that had these kind of stories in them. So right. when I would think about this type of, of story, my brain would always just go to Harlequin. And I remember even when I was younger and I would read them and I'd be like, oh, well, when I become a writer and, you know, just kind of like a ha 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 kind of thing. I was like, I'll try for Harlequin. And they are one of the publishers who always has open submissions. And that was one of the big drawbacks that a lot of people would talk about if they had decided to go the self-publishing route, that they didn't like the royalties. They didn't like, you know, the splits that they took. They didn't like that you only got a couple thousand for your book and not you know, these 10 or $50,000 advances that they dramatize on TV as being what people get. When the reality is they really don't get that kind of an advance unless you are a, you know, a JK Rowling or a John Grisham or somebody who already has this huge cult following. And they know that the second you stamp your name to anything, it's going to become a bestseller. So right. you have to, you have to create that presence and you have to create that fan base. And um, I wanted to go after Harlequin initially, but then the book that I had and the book as it was, I was not going to write the, the minimum for submission for Harlequin. And when I looked at the book at that time, I was just like, no, this is it. It's done. This is what I, this is what I meant for it to be. This is what it is. Right. And that probably is another like kind of rookie mistake. Like, again, if I hadn't been pushing it, if I had, you know, been more like just take your time and get it perfect before you put it out, then I might have had enough words and had enough additional in the book to hit that Harlequin um, requirement. And, and it's not an obscene requirement. It's kind of pretty typical for any books in that genre. But um, I, if you haven't gotten the idea, um, so far since I've been talking about it, I am trying to put my hat in for that with this book. I'm hoping to get to the, uh, word count that they want, and I'm going to try to give them to Harlequin and see what happens there. And if they don't, then I'm sure I will probably be back at self-publishing. And probably through KDP and everything else. But um, I think that the marketing is a huge piece. And I did not put much into the marketing. So if you do self-publish, just intend to put a lot into your marketing. If yeah. you're going with something like Harlequin or you're trying to go after a traditional publisher, you're essentially selling your rights of that story to a self-publisher, mm -hmm. to a publisher, so that yeah. they give you that audience. They build that audience for you. 
Um, Everything is a give and take. And, you know, like I said, there are people out there who are self-published and or were self-published and they had to write 10 or 20 novels that they self-published. And then finally an agent somehow got a hold of their name and was like, well, do you have any more? And then they were like, yes, actually, here's my entire collection of 18 other (laughs) novels. And then and then it's all reprinted and repackaged. And there you go. Yeah. So. I know some people that self-published and then went with a publishing company and hated working with a publishing company and now they're back self-publishing. So I think it's all depends on your personality, your goals, your own ability to market, what you need from a company, all different things. So I think there's a different answer for everyone. But I think in your case, you did the right thing. Self-publishing the first book, even though you feel like you rushed it, going through the process and getting it out there you know that you can do it now. And it's easier to be like, okay, I did it. I know what I'm doing. I know what to do differently next time because we don't know until we try it. We can try to figure out everything that's going to go wrong, but until you actually do the work and put it out there, you really don't know what's going to go wrong because there's going to be all kinds of snags that come up along the way. Writing a novel and publishing it all by yourself is... A tremendous amount of work. It's a beast. It really is. Yeah. And I agree. Yeah. It was worth everything that I learned. It was worth every bit of it. And there are definitely pieces that I know how to fine tune. There are pieces that I know I sucked at. There are pieces I knew I was really good at. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's finding that balance. And I agree. The person who did my editing for the first book, she had been both traditionally published and self published. And she tended to like being um, self-published over being uh, traditionally published. Uh, I didn't know any of her work, but I think it was because she does more of nonfiction kind of work, actually like historicals Mm -hmm. that are accurate, which is one of the reasons why I chose her as the editor too, because I was using, I was wanting to use somebody who had knowledge of that time period and stuff. So as she was reading my work that was supposed to be set back in the 18, you know, 40s, 1860s, if something was completely just not with in keeping with the time, then she would be able to tell me like, no, this is this happened like 20 years prior, or, you know, this was obsolete by then, or this didn't happen until 15 years later kind of a thing. So, and she was able to help me on a couple of those. So that was good. That's awesome. I'm going to put the link for your first book in the show notes for the episode so people can check that out and then I'll definitely be sharing your next book when it comes out too awesome thank you whether it's with Harlequin or by yourself either way (laughs) definitely gonna be pushing it out there yeah either way because you are an amazing writer thank you I appreciate that you're welcome definitely Definitely imposter. <laughs> All writers have imposter syndrome. Yeah, I officially decided according to TikTok. Yeah, we all think our stuff is trash. And then we get like 100 yeah. people to say like, no, it's great. And then we get that one person that's like, yeah, it's trash. And like, oh my God. That there, one person. See, I knew it. It was trash. That, that person. 400 people said it was trash. I mean, I should just throw the talent. <laughs> exactly. This hater has to be right. The seven million people that like me are wrong. This 
this hater that's probably doesn't even have a job. They're just at home trolling people all day. It's the person I'm going to choose to trust. <laughs> yeah, it's accurate. It tracks. <laughs> it tracks. I'm going to have to do a whole episode on writers with imposter syndrome. Oh, man. Yeah. There's so many levels to that. And then like, you're like, but I still have to go write. So give me a minute. <laughs> right. I'm so terrible, <laughs> but I have to get this out of my head. So give me a minute. Right. But then I'll come back and we'll talk about how I'm not good at this and yeah. how I should not be putting out stuff. So. Yeah. I'm going to keep writing and keep telling myself, like, I guess it's okay. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed yeah, thank chatting you. with you about it as well. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to do this again. Definitely. And that's probably my biggest, um, I guess, advice to anybody who's thinking about self-publishing is just do it. Yeah. I mean, just, just do it. Yeah. Do your research, do all that good stuff, but just do it because you need to exactly like what you said. You've got to jump in. You've got to get your feet wet and Mm -hmm. you will learn from that. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. That's a great message to end on. Thank you all for tuning in again this week. And I will be back next week to talk about something. I don't know what yet. 